Hello, and welcome to Coaster Kings Radio. I'm Ian, and today we continue our ongoing mini-sode series, The Regional Park Story. Around the same time as the development of Six Flags Over Georgia, Randall Duell and Associates had been approached to develop a new theme park outside of Houston, Texas. Judge Roy Hofheinz, one of the original owners of the Houston Astros, sought to further develop the land around the record-breaking Astrodome Stadium with the construction of a theme park. A general around-the-world theme was settled on, and Duell's associates crafted their most loop-like park layout today, centered around a central lagoon. Astroworld further streamlined regional park aesthetics, painting with broader strokes than either Six Flags Park had. The park opened in 1968 with nine themed areas, Americana Square, Mobville, Alpine Valley, European Village, Western Junction, Children's World, Lost World, Plaza de Fiesta, and Oriental Corner. These themed areas were relatively small, and each contained only a handful of attractions. The park's headlining attractions its opening year included the Alpine Sleighs, a fast-paced powered sleigh ride built by Aero Development, the Spinout and La Taxi car rides, and the 340-foot or 100-meter-tall Astroneedle double-decker observation tower built by Swiss firm Intamin. With Astroworld, Duel's loop design was touted as not only offering an efficient and pleasant guest experience, but also allowing the park to justify its single-price ticket policy. An innovation introduced by Angus Wynn and Six Flags Over Texas in 1961. Essentially, Duel's loop was considered so efficient with guests that every guest was going to be able to experience the majority of the park, making the pay-one-price admission worthwhile for the guests um, getting their money's worth. Astroworld also developed a complex system of outdoor air conditioning, allowing for better guest comfort and a more comfortable guest experience. Like Six Flags, Astroworld quickly learned that local crowds would return for major thrills. In 1969, they introduced the Bamboo Shoot Log Flume and Serpent Mini Mine Train um, to their Oriental Corner section of the park. 1972 would see the park's biggest expansion yet with County Fair, a collection of midway games anchored by what can be described as Arrow's first large-scale thrill coaster, Dexter Freebish's Electric Roller Ride, later renamed Excalibur. Astroworld had quickly established itself as a cornerstone of the Houston community, and in 1975, Six Flags would acquire a long-term operating lease for the park. Despite difficulties in later years, Astroworld outlasted other short-lived Houston regional parks such as Busch Gardens Houston and Hanna-Barbera Land until its untimely closure in 2005. However, the legacy of Astroworld lives on in regional theme parks across the United States, as well as in the memories of Houstonians everywhere. With the success of Six Flags and Astroworld, demand for regional theme parks soared. Not only were these parks major successes, but they also demonstrated how useful theme parks could be for real estate developers. A bit of that real estate development magic is what brought a regional park to Disneyland's backyard in the 1970s. Seeking to expand upon the success of their ocean life parks in San Diego and Ohio, SeaWorld Incorporated formed a partnership with Newhall Land and Farming Company to develop a park in the newly formed town of Valencia, California. Although within Los Angeles County, the park was located around 35 miles north of downtown Los Angeles in the hilly Santa Clarita Valley. With a park located on a large hill, the name Magic Mountain was settled upon. Randall Duell and Associates would be tasked with designing the park and developed a park in the regional model, maximizing the use of the natural terrain. 
The common motifs of Americana, Frontier, Spanish, and Oriental were all present in Magic Mountain's initial buildings, but the park chose to forego themed areas and instead offered them the park as a fully integrated experience. Magic Mountain also wisely opened with an elaborate arrow mine train, the Gold Rusher, and spectacular arrow flume, both of which utilized the park's rugged terrain. The Mountain of Magic Mountain also led to an increased focus on transportation rides. The opening lineup featured the Metro Monorail, the three-stationed Eagles Flight Skyride, and the Funicular Railway. All of the transportation rides had stations at the top of the mountain, which itself offered wonderful views of the surrounding area alongside the spectacular Sky Tower Observation Tower. These slow-moving transportation rides were spectacular, but also acted as panoramic advertisements for the surrounding land that Newhall sought to develop and sell. Magic Mountain opened on May 29, 1971, and quickly became a big success. The Gold Rusher was one of the biggest roller coasters in California, and the success of the pay-one-price model it piloted in the region would eventually lead to Knott's Berry Farm and Disneyland moving to pay-one-price admission models at their parks in 1981 and 1982, respectively. One could also argue that the success of Magic Mountain and its thrilling additions throughout the 1970s further pressured Knott's and Disneyland to introduce more thrilling attractions to their parks starting with Corkscrew and Knott's Berry Farm in 1975, Magic Mountain's Revolution in 1976, Space Mountain at Disneyland in 1977, Montezuma's Revenge at Knott's Berry Farm and Colossus at Magic Mountain in 1978, and Disneyland's Big Thunder Mountain Railroad in 1979. Also in 1979, Newhall Land would sell the park to Six Flags for just $51 million, eager to exit their stint in the theme park business and focusing on developing the growing Santa Clarita Valley. The same year Magic Mountain opened, Six Flags would unveil the third and last park overseen by Angus Wynn. Located 30 miles west of St. Louis, Missouri, Six Flags Over Mid-America opened on June 5th of 1971. By this time, the Six Flags formula was well established. Six sections themed to Frontier and Americana, with just enough theming to tie them all to the Six Flags represented. In this case, Missouri, USA, France, Spain, England, and Illinois, or Old Chicago. But more important than those themed areas, a set of double arrow log flumes, two arrow car rides, and for the first and only time, a set of two mirrored arrow mine trains. While you can cynically argue that theming wasn't a primary focus of Six Flags Over Texas, by Mid-America it had become obvious who the stars of the regional park were, the rides. By Mid-America, the dual-loop layout had also been well-developed, and the park arguably remains the most easily navigable of the original Six Flags parks, and definitely the most accommodating to expansions and additions. Unlike the two previous parks, Six Flags designed the park in-house, not employing Randall, Duel, and Associates, but following much of the formula that Duel's firm had developed. Angus Wynn Jr. would part ways with the Great Southwest Land Company that had developed the original three Six Flags parks in 1970, in the midst of Six Flags over Mid-America's development. The company sued Wynn for being overpaid and also overexpansionist when the company was struggling financially. While a settlement was eventually reached, this marked the end of Wynn's career in the theme park industry. After Wynn's departure, the company would switch its expansion model to acquisition, starting with Astroworld in 1975. Wynn would die of a heart attack in 1979, 
leaving a legacy of regional theme parks far beyond the original three Six Flags parks he developed. Six Flags Over Mid-America sought to be the premier theme park destination for the Midwestern United States, but that large market would attract a large number of competitors throughout the 1970s, including the subject of next week's episode, King's Island. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this mini-episode, please leave a comment or rating wherever you are listening. You can find interesting articles, exclusive park updates, and a range of theme park-related merchandise at thecoasterkings.com. For Coaster Kings Radio, this is Ian. Join me next week as we continue exploring the regional park story. Yeah.